Hello, and welcome back to another episode on Fitness for Pregnancy and Beyond, where we talk all things fitness for preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum, so that you can feel confident moving your body during these amazing chapters of your life. So thank you so much for tuning in with me during these. I've had so much fun making them, and I've had some really amazing feedback from moms like you who are interested in learning about movement for, again, these amazing chapters of your life. So today we have another guest. This is the third episode where we have a guest on the show. So Cassie Subler, um, she's she was on episode 13, I want to say, 13 or 12. Um, and she's a labor and delivery nurse, doula, and childbirth educator. So on the previous episode, we were talking about how to prepare for birth. So what can you do to prepare for a good birth? And today we're going to take that conversation one step further, and we're going to paint a picture for you. And this is really great for you if you're a first-time mom giving birth in a hospital because she's going to walk you through the very beginning of when you get to the hospital to even after you have your baby, what that looks like in a hospital setting from going to triage to actually going to the labor and delivery room. Um, and a lot of considerations that you and, and options that you will have along the way that you don't actually necessarily need to do or take. So she's full of so much valuable information and she's very passionate about you being able to make the best choice for you and then being, you know, educated on what your choices are and the fact that this is your experience. Um, ultimately, you get to decide. So one other thing before we get started, I did record this Zoom with my kids in the room and I thought I was on mute when Cassie was talking some of the times, but I had to mute my microphone and I didn't. I muted myself on Zoom. So there is some noise in the background, like Liam was hitting my desk a couple times and you can kind of hear Jayla talking and I'm just kind of giving you a, a forewarning. And then on the same page, there was one period where Jayla was crying a little bit. So I took what Cassie said and I wrote it down and I shared that 40 second segment um, of what she said, but it's just in my voice. So there's a period where it goes from her to me and that's that's why. So definitely take a listen though, that this, this episode, if you are definitely pregnant and you're giving birth in the hospital for the first time, definitely listen to the, every second of this episode and let me know how you like it. But just, that's just a little heads up heading into the episode today. All right. Welcome, Cassie. Welcome back to Fitness for Pregnancy and Beyond. I'm so excited to have you on the episode again. Um, we showcased you in a couple episodes past um, talking about like preparing for birth. And so we're going to kind of take that conversation one step further today, talking about what like painting a picture for what an experience um, delivering in a hospital actually looks like, especially for a first time mom who doesn't know what to expect from really the whole thing. This will be really, really valuable today. So why don't you go to introduce yourself and then we can dive into our conversation. Um, great. Yeah, it's great that talk about birth all day, every day. So I love to come here to, to chat. But yeah, I'm Cass Subler. I live in small town, Versailles, where Janelle's from. Uh, I'm, mom, I'm mom to a two-year-old little boy and or almost two years old. Uh, I've been a nurse for four and a half-ish years, three of those years in labor and delivery. And I am a Lamaze certified childbirth educator and also a doula. So all birth things. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about how you got into kind of the birthing field. So if you're a listener and you're curious more 
on how Cassie got into all that, definitely go back and take a listen. But um, let's just go ahead and dive on into um, our conversation. So, Cassie, if you, if you want to kind of paint a picture for what the topics will be during our conversation, and then we can start from the beginning. Sounds great. Yeah, so I'm going to walk through, yeah, Janelle said what to expect in the medical model of care, what to expect at the hospital. With a big side note that I'm going to explain the normal routine, and I'm going to say this throughout the podcast, that everything's optional. Yeah, I want you to do your research beforehand, so when you come into the hospital, you know your options and know that nobody can tell you you have to do anything. It's all your own choice. So that's probably my biggest thing. I tell all my students in my childbirth class and try to tell all my patients. So just knowing that that's going to be the theme in all that I talk about. But big, big topics will go through the main parts in the hospital. So triage, I'll go more into what that is in a minute. Labor and delivery, so the process from after triage until you have the baby. And then postpartum, which is the whole time after you have the baby. So those are our big sections and I'll break them down and get into all the details. Awesome. I love that. I know, and I'm excited, so excited to hear everything you have to say today because I remember going into this like as a first time mom and I had literally no clue what any of it was going to be like. Like even the nurses said triage and I was like, what is that? <laughs> so, so this, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And just starting with triage, right, would be the first thing. Yep. Yep. So yeah, triage. What is triage? We'll tackle that first. So triage is either a individual room or sometimes it depends on the hospital. Bigger hospitals will be like a big room that's broken up with the little tiny oh. sections. But it's an area where you're getting screened for whether or not to stay at the hospital or not. So you can come into triage anytime during your pregnancy if you have any health concerns. So you think you're having symptoms of preeclampsia or if you're having bleeding or cramping or anything that seems off with your pregnancy, your baby's not moving enough. All those are reasons to come to triage as well as if you think you're in labor. So all reasons to come to the labor and delivery unit to triage to be seen. So you come to triage and you get to this room and you'll be seen by a nurse who will do an assessment you know, listen to your complaints, your concerns, how far apart your contractions are, listen to all, all the things that are going on with you and then discuss those things with your midwife or doctor and then make a plan of care a non-labor concern they need to address those those concerns and then send you back home with when those things are resolved or if you're in labor then we'll decide to keep you so that's its own process too oh definitely don't be embarrassed if you come in and you think you're in labor or you are in labor and you're just in early labor do not be embarrassed if you come in and we send you home like it's a blessing yeah. i just try to think of it as a blessing and a great opportunity. So when you come in the next time you're ready to go, ready to, ready to have a baby. Yeah. And for any mom listening, like I was sent home twice with Liam. So you, you can, you can already have a, be familiar with these things and, um, you know, be sent home. The very, the very first time that I went in with Liam, um, I was, I was sent home. I, I felt like I had like flu-like symptoms almost. And so I went in just to be checked. And there's, 
there's nothing wrong with that. So I just kind of wanted to share that little nugget. <laughs> yeah. So then another thing I guess people might have questions about is like, when should I come into triage when I'm in labor? The, the general principle is when your contractions are about four or five minutes apart, lasting about a minute and that going on for about an hour is when we tell you to come in. Sometimes people's contractions are doing that and they're still in early labor. Sometimes their contractions don't get that close to their active labor about to have a baby. So it really, when you want to come in when your contractions are about four minutes apart and that lasts for, yeah, in for about an hour. So then what to expect in triage. So, so this is where Jayla starts to cry. So, so what Cassie goes to explain here is that the first thing they do is they put these disc like monitors right on your belly and they're going to measure the heart rate for the baby and your contractions. So they're going to monitor you, see how you're doing. Um, and one thing that I love that Cassie mentioned here is, um, in her words, I trust you more than I trust the monitor. So you can tell how far you're, how far apart your contractions are, how you're doing, like being mm -hmm. able to explain how you're feeling in those situations are really going to help the nurse. And then if you're not at a point yet where you're really trying to breathe to cope through your contractions, then you're probably not far enough in labor yet to have your baby. So that can kind of be a way to gauge how far along you are in labor also. Things we're looking at, and we have our scientific things we're looking at, but we're also just looking at your whole appearance, what's going on with you as a whole person, and we'll look at your vital signs, go through all sorts of silly questions and they're not silly questions they're relevant <laughs> yeah. questions but big long list of questions we have to ask right. uh, and then if and then usually we'll do a vaginal exam if you think you're in labor so we'll try to we'll check your cervix is a another term for that um and that really helps us determine if you're in early labor or active labor so uh, maybe there's not a specific number like oh if you're four centimeters we'll keep you kind of I mean there's Lots not a specific algorithm but yeah. we're kind of going through a mental algorithm to figure out what whether to keep you there or not which is the the doctor or the midwife <laughs> will decide that but we're kind of helping them to paint the picture for them of what you're what you're looking like but if you're seven centimeters you're definitely staying because you're going to have a baby pretty soon <laughs> well that was very helpful um I know I went to, I delivered at our, the hospital here in Lansing. So it's like a big hospital. Um, I went and toured the hospital um, before giving birth to Jayla, uh, baby number one. And that was really helpful too, just because I felt like I knew kind of, I already had that off of my brain before we had went. And that was just reassuring and gave you a sense of awareness. Um, so yeah, that was, that's awesome. Would you say most triages are just probably obviously where you give birth? I mean, like, yeah, it's usually on the labor and delivery unit. Okay. That's what I had figured. Yeah, or it's on a, Mommy. usually right next to it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you get into triage and they're like, okay, they give you two thumbs up. They say, we're going to have a baby today or soon. <laughs> so, and so what's the next step? All right, next step, you'll go to a labor and delivery room. So usually they, you, usually they'll let you walk down the hallway to that. Uh, and then they'll get you all, all checked in. Sometimes it's just one nurse doing it. Sometimes you get a whole team of nurses bombarding you. So yeah, uh, that how 
paint a picture of what, ooh, my series talking to me, um, <laughs> but to paint a picture of what that looks like. So you get into the room. So what's, what's all in this labor and delivery room? Yeah. You're going to have a labor bed, which definitely I advise you to, well, for one, get a tour like Janelle said is an awesome thing to do when you're pregnant. So you can kind of just get the whole feel. And when you go on that tour, ask the nurse, give you the tour, how you work the labor bed, how you put the head up, how you put the head down, how you put the feet up, how you put the feet down, just a general idea of how you work those beds because they're pretty nifty and you can get into pretty sweet positions if you know how to work it. So definitely nugget of knowledge, ask your nurse how to work, work that bed. So there's, that's the bed you'll be in. Usually the bed where you have the baby. And then there'll be like a dad bed of sorts. Usually most rooms have either a couch or a recliner or some sort of other piece of furniture that I call the dad bed. So where your <laughs> support person would be. <laughs> and then, well, except for they shouldn't be sleeping if you're laboring. They should probably be helping out. But right, right. <laughs> uh, they're sleeping, you can uh, throw something at them. Yeah, seriously. And then other big things with a fetal heart rate monitor. Um, so that's usually right next to where the labor bed's at. And there's usually a computer there that the nurse will be doing her charting on um, right there next to the bed. And then an infant warmer. So that would be mm. where we bring baby if the baby would need resuscitation. Or sometimes we'll bring the baby there to get its medicines right afterwards too. But yeah, again, mostly used for resuscitation so your baby might never be on that warmer if they don't ever need any resuscitation the big things there and almost always will be a bathroom attached to your room as well one thing again i didn't know was that i was going to be like admitted to another room and that there was another room for after you have the baby so this room is for what is said to be labor and delivery. <laughs> so that was just one thing that I didn't know um, when it came to giving birth in hospital. But I think you pretty much covered everything. And so at this point, we are admitted. We're in the labor and delivery room. We're getting all situated. Um, I I remember, I think, I think I had some paperwork to fill out like in the labor and delivery room. Is that standard practice probably as well? Um, yeah, I didn't expect yep. that. Um, so that was just a little piece, I guess, alongside what you were mentioning. And then, and so at this point you're, you know, you're situated and now it's time to kind of go through the labor process. So you, as the nurse, you help with coping, you know, being comfortable and just continuing to progress through that process. So yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a couple more things before we, cause, because you, what you oh, mentioned yeah. a couple more things before really get into the labor labor um they'll do insert an IV typically mm. uh, and then they'll draw some some baseline labs so just warning if you don't like needle sticks that that will be coming for you and they'll, they'll either do a saline lock which is a big name just for that's just for an IV they put the IV needle in and then they just have a catheter in there that just has a little little tube attached to it and it would just be that little tube in your hand or they might put you on continuous fluids, which would be that little tube then attached to a tube that goes to a bag of a bag of fluids. And so that really is a thing you can think about before you get to the hospital, because you can decide if you want those continuous fluids or not. 
if you're able to eat and drink and you're able to drink enough fluids to keep yourself hydrated, you don't need those uh, external fluids going into your IV. So just keep that in mind as you're birth planning or thinking about your hospital stay. Yeah. So to kind of, um, oh, I guess one more thing, (laughs) um, you know, with the fluids, what would be like the benefits? Like if I feel like, you know, I guess probably you can tell in the mom situation if like the fluids would be helpful for the given situation, but if you feel like you're doing fine, maybe you're like five centimeters and you're navigating the pain fine. Um, like the, the IV is there in case you need it, but what would be like the benefits of having the fluids additionally, if you were kind of maybe given a choice? Um, yeah. So a benefit of having the fluids would be because you're getting hydrated and you don't have to think about drinking. That's one thing. And then else, I mean, if you're thinking about getting an epidural, then it probably is good to get the continuous fluids from the time you get there. You want your, the volume of blood in your, system to be increased especially right before you have the epidural they'll give you mm. call a bolus of fluid so they'll give you a whole bunch of fluid all at once to help counteract uh the decrease in blood pressure that can happen when you get an epidural so we try to counteract that so you don't run into problems from decreased blood pressure which can happen from the relaxation you get from an epidural and from the relaxation that goes to your, all your blood vessels which affects your whole system and can cause problems for you and baby sometimes if we're not managing that blood pressure appropriately. Okay. That was super helpful. Um, I, and then this is just speaking from experience because I think just stories and experiences are fun to share. Like, and maybe you have just from your experience too. Um, I was given an IV with both Jayla and Liam and I didn't end up like using it at all. Um, with Liam, I didn't end up needing it, but I honestly think the worst part of that is when they take it out. I, I don't know what it is about the part where they take it out. It just, I have to look away because I'm like, oh my gosh. I, like I was so looking forward like to having that thing out of my arm. But um, I don't know. I guess I just am sharing that they did put that there for precautionary causes. And I was, they told me that's what they were doing. You know, they they were walking me through the steps of, you know, that's what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then um, I think they gave me the choice and it might have just been through the conversation that I was having with the nurse. But um, yeah, to me, I was like, yeah, if I feel if, if it's needed in, in an emergency situation, then it's already put in my arm. But yeah, so that was just a little thought that I had. Yeah, some other things I'll do once you get in it. Yeah, you'll sign papers and they'll go through all these things, which if you're in labor, you're probably not listening to anything they're saying. You're like, OK, give me the form. I'll sign it. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, I know some places, um, place where I had my son. They went through all those consents and all those things like a few weeks, you know, when you're like 36 weeks pregnant. So you went into the hospital and you filled out forms oh, that's and nice. questions. So you didn't have to do it when you were in labor, which I love that. And I wish we did that at every hospital. Yeah. So it just makes, makes so sense, much sense to me. I agree. <laughs> just knowing, knowing that they'll be asking you questions about if you have a living will or a healthcare power of attorney and you're going to tell them, what <laughs> what is happening but yeah right. definitely if it's like if it's throwing you off your game too much just ask them if, I mean some of the consents they need you to sign then but if they're asking you a whole bunch of questions that seem kind of bizarre just say hey I'll answer these questions later I don't I don't want to answer them now just 
answer their pertinent, you know, questions about your medical history and stuff related to this actual event of birth, but they have all kinds of other questions they can ask you that can really be asked at a later time that don't need to be asked when you're breathing through contractions. Yeah, I agree. Yep. And then another thing we'll sometimes ask you to do is to change into a hospital gown. And this is a thing that kind of irritates me. Like have some nurses will say, all right, I need you to change this gown and take off your underwear. And like, I'm like what, why are we doing this? Like yeah. that's throwing people so off their game because mm. um, they're comfortable in their own clothes. Then we tell them to, Hey, you need to put on this uncomfortable gown that mm. shows your butt off without any underwear. And that is so an optional thing. Just so you know, wherever you go, where people say you can totally wear whatever clothes you want you're not sick. You're not coming to the hospital because you're sick. You're totally with it. You know what's going on. You can choose if you want underwear or not, or if you want a hospital gown or not. You can totally wear your own clothes. That is totally fine. Yes, I love that. That that is so important for every first mom to hear. Oh yeah, yeah. But if you want to wear the hospital gown, that's fine too. Just know that it's if they tell give you this hospital gown and tell you, oh, you have to put this on. You don't have to, or you can put it on over your clothes if you feel like that. But yeah, you don't, you don't have to take all your clothes off unless you feel like it, then you can, you know? Yes. <laughs> and then the last thing, kind of before I really get into the coping with labor, it would be the different options for fetal monitoring. So I talked about those blue discs that they put on your belly. So that is one option, and that's like external monitoring. Another option, which you wouldn't usually do right when you get there, but um, after a little bit would be internal monitoring so there's fetal scalp electrode which is the internal monitoring for the baby which is like a little needle sort of thing that would screw right into the very top skin of the baby's head to monitor the baby's heart rate and then an IUPC which is like a thick straw-like tube they would put into your uterus to measure contractions just knowing that that is a thing they might offer so you know that option and kind of be able to look look at that and look at those options before you go into the hospital and knowing that you could refuse those things if they offer them as long as things are looking okay. So just so you know that. And then intermittent auscultation, so that's, again, a fancy medical term for that we would listen to your baby for maybe 10 minutes and then you don't have to be on the monitor for minutes or something like that the policy hospital you're at but where we wouldn't be you wouldn't have to be attached to the fetal heart rate monitor continuously you'd be able to be on and off of the monitor yeah that's all very helpful if a mom were to ask you like you know can I choose the monitor where I can walk around freely not be so like attached to this thing is or no do they always walk into that step like at a certain point or does it just depend where they could, would change, where, where they would, where they would change how they monitor the baby. Would that just depend? It would just depend. Typically, we can monitor most people through the typical monitoring is continuous external monitoring. So just the little blue discs on the outside, and that's typically what we would use the whole the whole labor. Which those most hospitals will have a box that you can carry around that goes on your IV pole or that you can carry over your arm that the monitor cords plug into so that you can walk around on the labor delivery unit or walk around your room 
and they'll still be able to monitor your baby. Good. I, yeah, I, I guess I just remember feeling so like worried if my baby wasn't monitored 24 <laughs> seven. Although like, you know, if you are a low risk mom going in, you know, you can feel confident your baby's okay. You know, I would say. Yeah. But, yeah. So at the place where I had like, me like real life stories are usually more helpful than just going through the information. So my son was born at a birth center that is in a hospital, but we did intermittent auscultation. So it was yeah, about every 30 minutes, they'd come in with a Doppler, like the Doppler they use at your doctor's appointments that they listen to the baby's heart rate with. So same, same little machines so that come and listen to the baby's heart rate during a contraction, make sure he was coping okay with the contractions. And then I wouldn't have anything on my belly again until 30 minutes later, they would do it again for about five minutes and then 30 minutes later they do it again. So that was super nice. I felt really free and I could move yeah. around with that. Yeah, that is on it like freeing. That's honestly the way to put it because you want to be able to go in a in a position that you feel comfortable in. Truly, it's very important. So now that we're situated in the labor delivery room, how are we going to go about navigating labor from here? Number one thing I recommend is to set the mood. So mm. I encourage dim lights. There isn't encourage that if you think about any other sort of mammal animal typically they don't decide to labor in the brightest spot possible with the most animals possible typically they kind of go off on their own and kind of do their own little thing so naturally if we were not so influenced by the world around us we would probably do a similar thing but Mm. alas if we're in the hospital uh, we got to kind of work with the environment we're given so one thing you can do to kind of relax the mood of the uh, room you're in is to dim the lights you want the lights all the way off. That's an option. Most hospitals have a way to use like a dimmer to dim the lights. And that's super nice. Or you can bring your own candles, like your bat, not candles that you have to use a lighter for, but like battery powered candles can be super nice to help mm. set that mood. Bringing something from home or bringing essential oils, something that has a smell that's soothing to you can be really nice because the hospital just tends to have like it's kind of a sterile sort of smell it doesn't smell bad it just smells like hospital uh and then there's a lot usually a lot of extra noises like the continuous fetal heart rate monitor can have you can listen to baby's heart rate which is super cool but sometimes the nurses turn it up super high so they can find the baby's heart rate and then they just leave it that high which can be a little bit distracting so sometimes it, you can ask your, or you should be able to ask your nurse if they can turn that volume down a little bit. And that can be helpful to just have a really quiet noise of your baby's heart rate, just to remind you that they're there. But it's a little distracting and it's blaringly loud. So yeah, so those are big things I would say to set the mood and really putting your partner, your husband in charge of kind of, Crowd control, you really don't need to have, you know, somebody coming in and out of your room every five mm. minutes, you know, kind of talking to them about the expectation. Like we want to be able to focus and relax. We would like you to consolidate your care so it's not constant in and out, lights on, lights off. Um, yeah, trying to set that <laughs> mood so it's not so interrupted. Yeah, yeah so that, that be- I love that you said that because I 
had no idea. I know I've probably said this like five times, <laughs> but I with, yes, I didn't expect, um, I had like some interns come in and I don't know, they were just asking me questions and they were just checking and seeing how I was feeling, but they were, it just, they, they felt really repetitive. And, um, I don't know. I was trying to bury through like contractions while I was trying to hold these conversations. So I never even thought to talk to Kyle about, Hey, like, you know, he could kind of read how I was doing, but you know, for me to say, Hey, if that happens again, can you just let them know that, you know, I would prefer to, you know, labor like by myself right now, I guess. So that's great. I loved that. Gives them a role, gives them something they can do and that's a big thing I emphasize in my childbirth classes, the roles that the partner, the husband can have just a lot of times I feel like, well, what can I do? I'm not the one in labor, but that's a big thing. And just kind of taking that masculine role of like protector of the birth environment. I think yeah. it's a super cool role that we can give them. They can't birth the baby, but they can help you in those, those ways of you know, setting the mood and then going on with some more things to, cope with labor would be getting in different positions, um, just listening to your body, especially if you don't have an epidural, like really listening to your body, telling you what position should you be in? You know, should I get on my hands and knees? Should I walk around the room? Should I rest on my side? Those are definitely things your partner can help you. And I usually encourage my patients to reposition at least every 30 minutes and then to go to the bathroom about every hour uh, to keep your bladder nice and empty. Think about all the things down in your pelvic floor area. You have your bowels and then you have your vagina, which your baby's trying to come out of. And then you have your bladder. So you can really control that bladder and how, and whether or not there's pee in there or not. So really trying to keep that bladder as empty as possible and knowing that you should still be repositioning about every 30 minutes. Um, and that can either be with the help of your nurse, um, the help of your partner. Uh, usually you can't do a whole lot of repositioning by yourself, but, mm. uh, yeah, really being intentional about that movement. Uh, and then if you have a really awesome nurse or you have a doula, they can help you with the different positions to get in based on where your knee is in your pelvis. Mm. which we could do a whole podcast about that. So I won't get too into it, but just knowing that sometimes the way you position your legs, the way you position your body can really affect the baby's ability to descend. So yeah, that's things with positioning. Next thing would be like other comfort measures in your hospital room that are available. So usually there's a birth ball, which is like a yoga ball. The ones you can, sit on and do exercises on so that's usually almost all hospitals will have those available as well as peanut balls which I'm so familiar with now that I forget people don't know what those are but <laughs> similar material as a yoga ball birth ball but it's in the shape of a peanut which seems super silly but it can be really nice to yeah. use to help with positioning and I would when you go into your hospital tour, ask them if they have those two things because they can be a really nice resource. Uh, and then almost every hospital will have a shower in their labor rooms. Some will have a tub, some won't have a tub. It's more dependent, but almost all of them will have a shower and that's 
a great thing to use for comfort would be the shower to you know turn the temperature up and let the hot water kind of distract your body from the pain. And then movement, we kind of talked about that, just listening to your body and getting in different positions. And then last thing I was kind of wanted to mention was nurse support. So you might have a great nurse who knows how to do counter pressure and massage and all these wonderful comfort measures. But sometimes it's hard because you can't count on every nurse to be really good at those comfort measures. Mm. Were you able to move during your labor? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with having the like, were you? Did you want to? I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a long, long labor. I was in the hospital for fifteen hours for my labor, and yes, I did. I had plenty of plenty of movement on the ball, off the ball, in the bed, out of the bed, in the shower, in the tub. I did a little bit of everything. Walked the halls a little bit. So I did a little bit of everything during my labor. Yeah. But I was also, yeah, had a little bit more time than some, some people do during their labors. <laughs> yes. And I just cut, and just kind of to go off of that, I wanted to move during mine. I could definitely move for the good first part of it. But once I was in active labor, I did not want to move. I wanted to, I went in saying, I'm going to go into the shower and do those things, but it just wasn't for me. Um, and so if you have the same experience, it's, you know, that's okay. You can feel comfortable with whatever it is. And like you mentioned, the nurses will help you. Um, and hopefully they're really supportive and there are great nurses out there like you, Cassie, and they are very helpful. So we're about three-fourths the way through the episode, and just a little intermission here. Cassie is amazing at what she talks about, and I hope you're really enjoying the conversation as much as I am. I just wanted to let you know that she does offer in-person classes in Versailles, Ohio, and her next class starts here in the fall of 2023. So definitely reach out to her. I'll have her information in the bio of this episode down below. So it's in person, but there is also a virtual option if you wanted to turn it, tune in virtually. And then alongside that, if you're pregnant or postpartum looking for a fitness plan to follow, I have general guides and I have one-on-one personalized fitness and nutrition coaching. So reach out to me if you're interested in following a plan that's proven a step-by-step process so that you can take the guesswork out of fitness for pregnancy and postpartum. Let's go ahead and dive back into the episode. Cassie's going to kick us off here with three different types of pain medications that can help you cope through labor. She's going to provide three that are standard practices at a hospital setting. Not going to go into all the details, but just so you know what your options are. Mm-hmm. Um, nitrous oxide is available at some hospitals. Uh, that's like a, the gas you can breathe in through a mask and it doesn't really relieve pain, but it can, you know, it can distract you from the pain for a little bit. Um, it's like the laughing gas they use for some other procedures that that's an option some places and then IV pain medications those could be stadol, nubane, morphine, any number of usually a narcotic medication and an epidural so those are our big medical interventions for pain yeah and again we could do a whole podcast about pain medications I won't go too big into that but uh there's that. Um, yeah. Those are big things with coping. Um, then the next thing I wanted to dive into was just other interventions that might occur in the hospital. Just 
of the names that you might hear come up throughout your labor. First little category would be like induction medications. So if your cervix is what we call unripe or not very soft or squishy, then we would want to ripen your cervix with a, um, a couple of medications. There's a couple options. One of them is Cervidil, which is kind of like a tampon sort of thing that's a medication that's attached to like a string that they would insert and leave inside for 12 hours and it should help soften your cervix. Another option, and I would take it out at the end of that. Uh, another option is Cytotec, another medication. It's a pill they would insert to again help to do the same thing. Another option is a Foley bulb or a uh, cervical ripening balloon. I don't know if anybody's heard any stories about those, but it's basically they put a tube through your cervix and then there's like a little water balloon sort of apparatus at the end that fills with water uh, or normal saline, but yeah, basically fills with water and helps to put more pressure on your, your cervix and that can help your cervix to thin and dilate. And then that would be in for usually like six to 12 hours or however long it takes for it to fall out. Sometimes it'll fall out once your cervix dilates enough. And then last option is Pitocin, or sometimes people call it oxytocin, but it's a synthetic form of oxytocin that we would give people, but that's usually after those first things have been used to help soften your cervix to prepare it. In most cases, like, like, how do you determine, like, which one to use, like, for the mom? Um, or is there a point where the mom can say, like, I would like something to help speed this along? Like, is that something that you hear a lot? Um, I guess they're kind of two different questions, but that's kind of what I was thinking as you were talking. Got it. Yeah. So the four things I mentioned are mostly for induction. I guess the first three, the cervical, Cytotec, and the Foleybog are more for inductions. The Pitocin can be used either for induction or we call augmentation, which is speeding up labor. Those, the induction options, like the cervical, Cytotec, Polybob, you just kind of have to give them their time to work, which is kind of hard. Um, and it's a good thing to know if you are choosing a elective induction, um, like one, an induction that's not for a medical reason, just because you want to meet your baby, um, just knowing that it can be a long process, especially if your cervix is not what we call ripe. So it's a deep dive or deep, uh, or a quick, um, explanation of how do we know if your cervix is ripe or not? We would, they would do a cervical check before you would have an induction. And then based on your dilation, effacement, and then just in general, how your cervix feels, the doctor would make a decision on do we want to do Cervidil or Cytotec to make that cervix softer or is it already, you know, three to four centimeters dilated and 70% effaced? That would mean that your cervix is more receptive and should be ready to dilate using Pitocin. That makes sense. So kind of what you're saying there is, it, I mean, it obviously all always depends, but as far as where you're at in the progression process, because there's it's more than just dilation. So, mm-hmm. you know, what pieces can these 
help foster like with the process. Um, very cool. I think that answers my questions that, that someone might be kind of thinking about. But um, you mentioned speeding up the labor. You talked about the Pitocin. Um, anything else with that? The only other main like medical intervention would be rupturing your bag of water or yeah, breaking your, having your doctor or midwife break your water. And we talked about that some in our other podcast we did together, but it can be helpful um, if you don't have an epidural and you plan to not have an epidural. Sometimes it can make it a lot more painful after your water's broken. Um, and sometimes it really does help to speed it up. Sometimes it's not super effective and it kind of makes the baby kind of get stuck in the position they're in. Mm. So it really kind of depends on the labor. Um, yeah, so those are, those are two options. And I think... Me and Janelle both, at some point in our labor, had our water broken. Uh, I chose to have my water broken. I was nine and a half centimeters. I'd been up for about 24 hours, and I was just so done, yeah. ready to just push and have a baby. But, yeah. yeah. I did have my water broken in the hospital with both. So, yeah, it was a better experience the second time than it was the first, um, just because it. I expected, well, with Jayla, it was, like, immediate, like, pain after. What with my next contraction was much more intense, but... Wasn't that way with Liam? Liam's was like, I don't know. It was this most soothing sailing thing, but he, I did not have that same pain with him. So, so yes, just about breaking the water. That is my only other comments, I suppose. <laughs> and really the other thing you can do to speed up your labor is just movement. Again, movement changing positions. The worst thing to make your labor go slower would just be to lay on your back and not move. It's probably the thing that's going to make your labor go the slowest though. So. Movement is probably the best natural thing. And again, that doesn't mean walking the hallways necessarily, but changing position in bed mm. even can do a lot, you know, side to side, maybe on your hands and knees, just doing something to move your pelvis around can be super helpful to speed up the labor. I wanted to touch on one more thing. The next thing I'd want to talk about would be like, how do you know, you, you know, you're going through all your labor and then you have to have your baby, you know, baby's got to come out. So how do you know when the baby's ready to come out? Uh, I mean, they can do cervical exams, but knowing that, especially if you don't have an epidural, that that's typically uncomfortable, but uh, you're usually going to know if you don't have an epidural, when you're ready to push your body, will tell you like, oh, wow, I need to, I feel like I need to bear down. I feel like I need to poop. Um, and then even with an epidural, most of the time, unless your epidural is like super duper strong, once your baby descends far enough in your pelvis, you typically have that same strong urge to push when your baby gets low enough, or at least a strong feeling of pressure in your pelvis. Um, yeah, so knowing that while they can do, you know, 10 cervical checks during your labor, if you would want that, I would advise against that or, or to get as few as possible. Again, one, because it is uncomfortable, and two, Every time you get a cervical check, it increases your risk of infection. So knowing that it's an option, I feel like knowing people knowing that every cervical check is optional and knowing they can say no is super empowering because that's a very, that's a very personal, it's a very personal exam. It's a very yeah, vulnerable thing to have done. Um, so really trying to limit as much as possible the thing I would recommend. Yeah. So. Typically, they'll want to check your cervix when you think you're ready to push. And 
that's reasonable. Um, I think it's a reasonable time to know. You know, sometimes people feel like they have to push when they're eight centimeters dilated, so it's good to wait until that cervix is all the way dilated, 10, 10 centimeters dilated before you start pushing. Um, yeah, so that is that. And then who's who's all in there in the room when you're having a baby? I think it's a good thing, good thing to kind of be aware of. Um, so typically it'll be you, obviously, you're there, and then your support team. So you know, your partner and then a doula if you have a doula or or, you know, your mom else you have supporting you, and then your labor nurse, and then either your midwife or your OBGYN. Um, another nurse would be the baby catcher nurse, the ones who would be taking care of your baby, and then an OB tech sometimes, which is like a nurse's aide who also does um, surgical scrubbing as well. So you have about five people in addition to you in your room when you're having your baby and then just a couple things just be aware of in the room um a lot of the hospitals will have like an overhead light that comes down from the ceiling that they use to uh, be able to see things better um a lot of times they'll offer a mirror if you want to use a mirror to watch when your baby's being born they'll bring in a table with instruments with different uh not instruments, not like saxophone instruments, like uh, medical instruments, like things to use to uh, do sutures, to do give you stitches. Uh, and then a couple other things to kind of be aware of at that time would be, there'll just be an increased amount of noise at this point. Um, they'll mm. set up the baby's, finish setting up the warmer in case the baby would need resuscitation. And then you'll have extra people there who might want to give you all of their advice on how to push. Uh, I would advise you to do a childbirth class before you have your baby so you can learn more about ways to push so you don't have 10 people yelling at you on how you should push. And if people want to give their advice, again, a good opportunity for your partner to kind of be a protector of the birth space and telling those people that, she would that you would like to you know, push with your instincts or push in the way you want to push instead of being bombarded with demands. Um, I think it can be super duper helpful to help you feel empowered in that aspect of your labor. And then last thing, you know, people don't feel like they have a lot of options with are how they push during their labor, like the position they push in. Um, but another thing that's kind of why I mentioned before. Cassie goes to say here, and again, Liam was playing with his toy really loud at this point. So she goes to say that it's really helpful to know that you can push in any position that you're comfortable pushing in. So going back to knowing kind of how your bed can adjust and knowing that you can push from your side if you want to push on your side, or you can push on your back if you're more comfortable on your back, but you can push in any position that feels the most comfortable. And then she'll go ahead and tie in here what happens, like what, what's standard practice right after that baby is born. You just had a beautiful baby. Um, so typically they'll put your baby skin to skin, which is beautifully awesome after you've gone through the hard work of labor to just snuggle that little baby. Uh, and then so they'll put the baby on your chest. And then if the next thing that you kind of have to make a decision on uh, would be how long you want the baby's cord to go before it gets clamped. Um, which, so there's the option of immediate cord clamping, it would be 
baby comes out and they clamp that cord right away. And then another option would be to do delayed cord clamping, which can mean waiting one minute to clamp the cord, which is typically standard practice at hospitals. Or you can ask them to wait longer, you know, like five minutes before clamping the cord. Um, again, you should discuss this with your nurse before before your birth because I want you to focus on snuggling your baby right after your baby's born, not about whether or not they're clamping the cords. So that should be a thing your partner's aware of and your nurse is aware of so they can kind of navigate that system instead of you worrying about it right then. And then the next thing after that would be um, the birth of your placenta, which in my childbirth class, I feel like it's the thing that people don't realize needs to happen. That, oh, I need to birth my baby, but I also need to birth my placenta, which is a lot easier to birth than a baby. It's a lot squishier. It doesn't have bones, so it will come out much easier, but you do still have some contractions after you have your baby, which is helping your uterus to um, birth your placenta. And your doctor or midwife will kind of guide you through what you should be doing or whether or not to push when that comes out. Um, and then they'll do, typically at the hospital, your doctor or midwife will do what we call bundle massage, which, again, people typically have no idea this is coming, but they'll, the doctor will typically put their hand on the top of your uterus, which is after your baby comes out, is typically right around your belly button. And they'll kind of press real hard on your uterus to and give it a massage, which is not anything like any massage you've ever had in your life. But they'll rub on your uterus, makes it contract, and usually helps your placenta to be born a little bit quicker. And then, yeah, you typically do sometimes just a small, a small little push, and then your placenta comes out. And then you just get a snuggle with your sweet little newborn. and start breastfeeding so yeah that's mostly all that immediate postpartum stuff and we can bounce into some of the postpartum things you can expect yes I love this and again this is like talking earlier about how I didn't know that there were all these separate rooms so you have your baby and how long would you say like you're in there like a couple hours before they move you to the mother baby room yeah yes you're typically in your labor and delivery room for two, two to three hours after you have a baby. The first couple hours are what we call the recovery period. So you'll have your nurse in there by your side, typically that whole two hours, making sure your bleeding's under control and your pain's under control. And yeah, that your uterus is nice and firm and that your vitals are good. So your nurse will be there giving you some close assessments during that time. But then once you are good to go and you're able to stand up and go to the bathroom, then they'll typically clear you from your labor and delivery room and then you'll go to postpartum. Awesome. Which is like such a, such a warm place to be. Like you're just stare at your baby the whole time. Is that how you felt? <laughs> like, it's just like, Oh, like that just happened. It was just, it's a really, they're really special mm. moments for sure. But um, yeah, so we get to the, do you call them mother and baby rooms or what do you call them? Yeah, postpartum mother baby. Yeah. S- same sort of thing. Same sort of thing. Means means the same. Postpartum is just more of a medical term, but yeah. The next thing Cassie and I will talk about is the different types of medicines, screenings, and opportunities that you and your baby will have in that postpartum room. So one of them is 
erythromycin, which is an antibiotic eye ointment, hepatitis B vaccine, and a vitamin K shot, which again, can talk a long time about that, but do your own research about whether or not you want your baby to get those. And then thing you'll, you, I mean, it'd be great if you could just relax and not have anybody come bug you for your whole time you're in your mother baby room, but there will be several things that will be happening. Usually your nurse is coming in about every hour to make sure everything's going okay. Um, well, sometime in the first 24 hours, usually you'll have a hearing screener come in and they put little headphones on your baby to make sure that the baby can hear well. Um, I don't do those screenings, so definitely, yeah, ask. When they come in to do that, ask them how they do it and why they do it. But yeah, that's a thing you can expect. And then at 24 hours, they'll do a few screenings. One of them is a bilirubin screening to check if your baby's at risk for jaundice. And then a congenital heart disease screening and a metabolic screening that screens for diseases like celiac disease not celiac disease no it does not scream for that uh, <laughs> sickle cell disease and um i can't even cystic fibrosis mm. yeah and a couple other multiple other metabolic diseases um and then throughout your stay there you'll usually there'll usually be a photography service that the uh, hospital will offer um so ours yeah we have a hospital a service our hospital that can do pictures while you're in the hospital and then that's an option you might not want that you might want your own friend or sister or personal photographer to get pictures and that's totally fine so that's just going to be an option and then at some point they'll ask if you want the baby to have a bath typically sometime between 8 and 24 hours and again that's a thing you can research do I want my baby to get a bath at 8 hours do I want to wait 24 hours do I want to wait 72 hours to run at home. Um, yes, do your own research and decide when you want that bath to be done, but there's no urgent reason for them to get bathed, you know, earlier than eight hours, unless it's something you would really like. Uh, and then last, yeah, last couple things. Um, I guess just one quick note is knowing how your hospital's policy looks for visitors. Um, so our hospital You can have an unlimited amount of visitors in the postpartum mother-baby unit, which sounds great, but don't abuse that. You don't really need to have 20 people in your room. That's not going to be really that helpful for your personal recovery. So I can talk to your partner beforehand and kind of set some limits of who's going to come visit in the hospital and how many people. You just went through a marathon, so you're going to need, definitely need some rest. Yes, that is, that is awesome. I, I, everything you, like, I just smiled the whole time you're talking because you just explain it all so well. And, um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. Is there any, like, anything else in that postpartum that you had on your list that maybe that you wanted to cover? And then one more, one last thing is, so how do we know when we're ready to go home? Um, mm. uh, for mom, basically what we're looking at is, is your pain within normal limits? You know, if you're had a vaginal birth, are we controlling your pain with ibuprofen and Tylenol? And is that working? How well is that working? If your blood pressure's within a normal range, so it can be concerning if your blood pressure's high. So we typically will want you to stay in the hospital until 
that's under control if that's been a problem and then making sure your bleeding's uh, normal. So by the time you leave the hospital, it should be a normal to light period. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a thing to expect if you're having more bleeding, you definitely will take a closer look at that and want to monitor it closer. And then baby, what we're looking at is making sure vitals are stable, that temperature, pulse, and respirations are all looking good, that baby's eating well, either breastfeeding or in a bottle feeding. However, they're feeding, making sure that they're getting a good amount of nutrition and then making sure their bilirubin, which is that measurement for jaundice, making sure that's in a normal range and then just that there's no other major abnormalities that people can, that the doctor or nurse have noticed. Awesome. Yeah. Knowing that your baby's being looked at and I've, I had a really great experience with all of the nurses and um, I'm hopeful that every mom listening can say the same, but um, yeah, they're there to help you. So this has definitely been so valuable, Cassie. Um, is that, was that everything on your list then that you wanted so. to share? Awesome. You're bringing so much value to so many moms out there. And this is going to be like life-changing for a first-time mom who is knowing what to expect. So thank you so much for your time. And that wraps up our episode for today. So again, Cassie offers in-person childbirth classes and as well as a virtual opportunity. Her next class is this fall, 2023. So if you're interested in learning more, definitely reach out to Cassie. Her Instagram handle is in the description below. So absolutely a great opportunity, especially if you're a first-time mom giving birth in a hospital. And if you enjoyed today's episode or if you're enjoying the episodes on this podcast, definitely leave us a five-star review so that we can continue impacting moms everywhere. Have a great rest of your day.